All right, so let's say tomorrow you go to your mailbox and you find a letter that is from Larry, Frank, and Al, attorneys at law. And you open up this letter and you discover that some distant relative that you have only met one time has died and they left you their entire fortune. And apparently you were the only one nice to them at the family reunion 35 years ago. And whenever they died, they left you $50 million in cash and three homes and two Italian sports cars and a pickle recipe that is the envy of the county fair. It has been a good day. So you're excited and so excited to pick up the phone and you start to call every friend of yours and you call every coworker and every neighbor and every other family member who apparently did not receive this particular benefit. And you share with them everything that just happened. You talk about the letter and you talk about the money and you talk about all of the benefits that were coming to you and you are thrilled. And then all of a sudden it hits you, you have not contacted the attorneys yet. So you pick up the letter and you look and there is no address and there is no phone number and there is no website and all of a sudden you start to panic a little bit and you start to read a little bit more and you, you reread everything in the letter because maybe they gave you a clue and you missed it somehow in the letter and you take the letter and you hold it up to see if there's a watermark somewhere on this letter and you're like, what do I do at this point? So in that particular moment, there's nothing that would be more painful to you than to know that there is a vast amount of money at your fingertips and you cannot access any of it. So let me ask, if that were to happen to you, would you sit back and say, well, they found me once, I guess they'll find me again? Or would you be Googling that name as fast as you could? Would you be checking out the postmark on the top? Like, where exactly was this stamped from? I'm going to trace it down through the post office. You would probably be fervently on your knees in prayer, begging God and saying, Oh, God, if you never answer any other prayer request in my life, I understand, but I really need you to get this group to give me a call. You see, here's the thing. If there's a fortune on the line, it's not enough to just know it's out there. Money out there doesn't pay your bills over here. You need to know how to access the resources. So now I want us to spiritually transition for just a moment. In our last three Sunday nights that we have been studying the book of Ephesians, we have been talking about our spiritual bank account in Christ and how it is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. According to what we find in Ephesians 1, our account is full. Everything we need for life and godliness has been supplied to us. And it's not just been given a little bit, it has been lavishly placed in our lives. But here's the thing. It's not enough to know that we have that. We need to know how to access what we have in Christ. That's what I want us to focus on tonight. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles. Once again, the book of Ephesians chapter number one. I am speaking this evening on the subject of accessing your spiritual account. Of all of the messages that I get a chance to preach, if there is one piece that is so unbelievably connected to the gospel, but so important for believers to understand after they've placed faith in Christ, 
It's going to be teaching about in Christ truth. So much of what our Christian experience is about is often we begin early as children and we learn stories in the Bible. And then a little bit later, we learn history in the Bible. And sometimes along the way, we begin to learn teachings or instructions or commands that are from the Bible. And all of that is good. But there is a point in which your mind can be filled with a lot of information. And the first thing you want to do is say, how do I act upon it? How do I live this out? And if we're not careful and we don't understand in Christ's truth, we will spend the rest of our lives in frustration, going through cycles of victory and defeat, victory and defeat, wins and losses, if we don't understand in Christ's truth. In Christ's truth is the bedrock area to understand what it looks like to live the gospel, what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So we have a lot to go through tonight. Um, all I'm going to tell you from the very beginning is we're not going to reread the text. There'd be no way we can get all of that in and cover the information. So just have your Bibles open because I'm going to be calling out references all the way through it so that you'll know exactly where it is in the text. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are asking tonight that your spirit guide us into truth. Lord, help us to know what it looks like to live the gospel, the significance of in Christ truth, and how that has an unbelievable bearing upon our minds, our victory, and our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So everything that we have covered so far that is in our spiritual accounts are those things that have been given to us by the will of God the Father. But they are also those that are given to us and every part of Trinity has been connected to it. So for example, I believe this is in your notes, we talk about blessings from God the Father. That is, he has chosen us, verse number four, and he has adopted us, verse number five. Then there are blessings from God the Son. He has redeemed us, is what we found in verse number seven, first part, and he has also forgiven us in verse number seven. He has revealed God's will to us, verses eight through 10, and he has made us an inheritance, verses 11 through 14. And then there's blessings from God the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us, verse 13, and he has given us an earnest, verse 14. Now, I know everything that I'm about to say is going to start sounding repetitive, redundant, uh, but I want the phraseology to begin to sink in. I want you to keep hearing this, this phrase of in Christ, in him. So if you were to look back in verse number one, I'm going to go through these quick. Verse one, it speaks of in Christ Jesus. Verse three, in Christ. Verse four, in him. Verse six, in the beloved. Verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in him. Verse 10, in Christ. Verse 10 as well, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in him. Later in verse 13, in him. This term, in Christ, or its equivalent, is found 164 times in the Apostle Paul's writings. 11 times in the first 14 verses, the Apostle Paul speaks of things being in Christ. If you and I grasp what that is all about, 
If we start to get what in Christ truth is and we study it and we spend time focused on it and we ask God to help us to understand it and what it looks like to live it out, if that happens, listen to this, the riches and the blessings of the kingdom of God are right at our fingertips. It's all connected back to in Christ. Understanding in Christ truth will dramatically restructure your walk with God. You will not read the Bible the same way again because once you begin to see in Christ truth, it will begin to jump off every page within the New Testament. You keep finding it and all of a sudden there's this awareness of like, how have I gone this far in my Christian life? And that phrase, that idea, this key component has somehow not risen to the top as being unbelievably significant. In Christ truth, is at the core of so many of the phrases that you're hearing regularly within the culture right here at church. See if some of these phrases sound familiar. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. That is an in Christ statement. Also, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. That's an in Christ statement. The Christian life is not about doing something for God. It is about being with him and allowing him to do something through you. That's an in Christ statement. God wants to live his life through you as you. That is an in Christ statement. There's basically two different ways that people try to approach the Christian life. The first is called the self-life. That is, we try to do our best for God. That's the self-life. The second is the Christ life. We trust God to live his best through us. Those are your two primary ways that people approach the Christian life. Now, the self-life seems natural because it is the closest system to anything that we might be familiar with. That is, we have been taught from the time that we're little, you need to work hard, you need to do things to accomplish certain sets of results. The world is not going to give anything to you. You've got to go out and you've got to earn it. You have to work. You have to perform to attain. The better you do and the harder you work and the more you try, the further and the faster you're going to go. So the idea of working for the sake of accomplishment, working to perform, working to attain, that is natural for us. If you've ever noticed from the time that you're little, like little tiny kids, you will notice that if you do something that is good, you get rewarded by parents and teachers. If you do something that is bad, you get punished by parents and teachers. When you start like learning in school, you'll notice that the harder you study, the more you prepare, usually the better grades you get. There, there's a grading system that helps you know, did I or did I not do well on this? Then you go out and you get a job. And you find out the harder you work, the more that often you receive promotions and you receive different types of incentives along the way. Even if you look at the, the goals that you set in your life, the, the more you look out and try to work to attain those, usually the more those become a reality. We live in a world in which performance is everywhere. And then you get into the Christian life. And in the Christian life, that same mindset of, I'm going to do it for God. God, just tell me what to do, and I'll accomplish it. But here's the issue. If you could accomplish it on your own, he would not receive the glory for it. 
That's not what the Christian life is about. You and I could not save ourselves. You and I cannot sanctify ourselves. It is the work of God that is in our life and through our life. So the other approach to Christianity is the Christ life. Now here is a more detailed description of what that is. The Christ life is a focused pursuit to be with God relationally, recognizing Jesus as your life and trusting him to live his life through you. That's the Christ life. The person who is living the Christ life, they recognize that they could never achieve the standard of Scripture in their own strength and by their own means. They understand that the commands of God are written to the life of Christ in them. They recognize that when there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, it was not go and do these to show your love for God, but rather those 613 laws were put there to show the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity and to be a tutor that would lead us to Christ as our Savior. That's what it is there for. So a person who is living the Christ life, they understand that the more they trust and the more they submit to him, the more God continually lives his life, his blessings, his purposes through them. That's the Christ life. Now you begin to recognize it in somebody's prayers. They begin to pray things like, God, I can't, but you can through me. God, I can't overcome this addiction, but you can through me. God, I cannot fight off this depression, but you can through me. God, I cannot fix all the problems in my family, but you can through me. Now, what gets people nervous is they feel like the person saying, I can't, means they're living with a defeatist mindset. It is just the opposite of that. The person is not defeated. They realize that victory is already theirs. It's just in Christ. It's not you doing it in your effort. It's already yours in Christ. They are submitting themselves to God so that he lives that victory through them. So tonight, our objective is to unpack the Christ life as best we can, what this idea of in Christ truth is all about, so that people don't just know about what is in their spiritual bank account, but they are accessing and living from the resources that God alone supplies. So this is critical. I'm about to ask probably the biggest question of the night for you tonight. Here it is. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? If all of these passages keep talking about in Christ, in him, in the beloved, our our spiritual blessings are found in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? A believer who is in Christ, it is about more than just believing in Christ. It's about more than simply being saved. Here's what it means. It means we are united to Christ in such oneness that what is true of him is also true for us. Let me say that again. It means we are united with Christ in such oneness that what is true of him is also true for us. So think of it like this. God sees a believer as being in Christ. He accepts that believer just as he receives and accepts his son. 
Part of what we learned early on in the study of Ephesians is that one part, the first part that was in our spiritual bank account was election. Now, if you'll remember, the key concept we brought out is that salvation is of the Lord. That's the key idea behind election. Now, why that is important for this discussion is it reminds us that everything we have in salvation, it came from him. He's the one who brought it. He's the one who saved us. It starts in him. It ends in him. It's completely about him. Now, that truth becomes relevant for us because it's on the basis of what God has done for us that we have any opportunity in this relationship at all. I could never stand before God on the merits of Paul Gotthardt. My best is never going to be good enough. According to the Bible, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I could live a thousand lifetimes and never live up to the standard that we find in Scripture. I am depraved apart from Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. According to what we find in Scripture, I was born into sin. I was born under sin. And I became mastered by sin. That is the state of humanity apart from Christ. But when Jesus saved me, here's what happened. He loved me so much that he died on the cross to pay my sin debts. He wiped my sin debt clean. He bought me back from the slave market of sin. And then he set me free to experience my created purpose in Christ. For that to happen, he did not come to me first and say, I want you to give me your credentials as to why I need to save you. He did not come to me and say, give me five reasons why this is a good thing for me to do. Instead, it had nothing to do with merit. It had everything to do with God. He completely and unbelievably saved my life. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he did the exact same thing for you. That's why. We rejoice. That's why there is freedom in the Christian life. That's also why it's so important to let be believers know your walk with God did not start in your performance, and it's not going to end in your performance. The one who began a good work in you is going to be the one who completes it, but you have to understand what it looks like to be in Christ. So listen to how Jesus shared this beautiful truth over in John chapter 17, verse 23, he's in the, this prayer back to the Father, and he says, I in them and you in me, all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. Did you get that? <laughs> Did you hear what Jesus just said? He, he's talking about this oneness. Christians are in Christ. You and I cannot be separated from the love of Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Our lives are joined together in such a beautiful degree that what is true of him now becomes true of us. And listen to the way the Bible describes that. It says, we have been crucified together. We died together. We were buried together, made alive together, raised together, seated together, given all things together. Life is hidden 
together. We are heirs together. We are sharers together. Over and over, it describes this oneness. His story became our story. His life becomes our life. His victory becomes our victory. His father is now our father because of what he has done for us. What is true of him now became true of us. But listen, that does not mean you and I became God. Okay, we have to be really clear on that. What that means is talking about positional truth, that there is this such beautiful oneness in this relationship with God that his life, his story now becomes ours. So now let's go back to that spiritual bank account for just a moment. We know that we have been blessed according to the will of the Father, but I also want you to pay close attention to where each of the blessings are found. So we were chosen in Christ that's election. We are adopted through Christ. We have redemption in Christ. We experience forgiveness in Christ. In Christ, he made known the mystery of his will. In him, we have an inheritance. In him, we are sealed. Every one of the pieces that we covered in the first three weeks of what is in our spiritual account in Christ, every single part of that is in Christ's truth. Listen to the way that D. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. If you leave out the in Christ, you will never have any blessings at all. Every blessing we enjoy as a Christian people comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. End of quote. This is huge. The blessings that you and I get a chance to enjoy are not blessings God gives because we go to church. And I think you should go to church. The blessings are not given to us because we read our Bible. And I think you should read your Bible. They're not blessings that come to us because we give an offering or because we serve. God's blessings come to us because we're in right relationship with the holder of the blessings. These blessings are not given because we admire Christ. They are given because we are in Christ. Part of the struggle that Christians have in their walk with God is they're trying to access their account apart from the holder of the account. They feel as though if I just serve more, God will bless me with more. But they try to leave Jesus out of the equation. I'm going to read my Bible because if I read my Bible, I can check something off my list, but it has nothing to do with getting to know Jesus. It has everything to do with the fact you want to check something off your list. They, they give because they've heard some preacher say, if you put in this, God's going to return it tenfold in your life. So they give and they try to distinguish the gift from the giver himself. That is a recipe for disaster in the Christian life. You are who you are. You have what you have because he is who he is. It is about the relationship with him. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. It is overflow relationship that we're talking about. Listen to how Jesus describes this in John 15. He says, abide in me. 
Where? In him. And I in you. As a branch cannot, it cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides where? In the vine. You gotta be in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. There is no spiritual fruit apart from being in him. There is no spiritual gains apart from in him. There is no Christian maturity apart from in him. What happens on the other side of that is more of what we refer to as behavior modification, not character development. If you want God to change the character, if you want God to do the deep work in the heart of the person, that happens as we are in Christ. All of the things that I've just described are ours in Christ. He's the source. So let me tell you how we also get this mixed up. Our job is not to figure out all the blessings. Did you know how distracted people get the moment I say the word election? Instead of simply saying, God, I'm going to take you at your word. We try to figure out election. We start tinkering with the idea of adoption. We try our best to list out the inheritance because we feel like if I understand it more, I can access it. No, that's not how it works. If you abide in him, you already have access. It, it comes out of this relationship with him. Also, our job is not to speak the blessings into existence. This is not a name it and claim it proposition. It is ours in Christ. Our job is to abide in him, and he will live his blessings through us. So I want you to make sure you hear this. How do you access your spiritual bank account in Christ? How do you access your account in Christ? How do you access your account in Christ? I got a visual. Abide in him. Abide in him. What do you do if you're confused? Abide in him. What do you do when you're on the mountaintop and everything's going great? Abide in him. What do you do when you wake up and it feels like the bottom fell out and you don't know where to go? Abide in him. Where do you go if you're searching for wisdom? Abide in him. Where do you go if you're saying, God, transform my character? Abide in him. How do you progress in the Christian journey? How do you know what it is that God would have you to do? How do you understand the mystery of his will? How do you see your character transform? It comes back to abiding in him. It's not that you and I figure him out. It is that as we are with him, and we abide in him, and we rest in him. Here's what happens. He gently, graciously, gloriously lives his life through us. Have you ever had those moments in your life when somebody will come to you and say, man, that was a great thing that you did. Like, that's wonderful. Where did that idea come from? And you're like, it wasn't me. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, it wasn't my idea. There's, there's times, and I'll, I'll see this happen so much when it comes to message planning, where somebody will say, I don't know how you knew what to preach at this particular point. And here's my thing, I don't know what to preach. What I do know is God honors the preaching of his word. So we're, we're going to start here. 
But at the same time, as I am with Christ in relationship with him, there's certain pieces that God begins to bring up in the surface. There's things that he burdens in my heart. There's statements that he begins to burn in. And I'm simply sharing with you what it is that he shared with me. And in the process, God does something I couldn't do. Somebody's like, Paul, where did that come from? I don't know other than it's in Christ. That's where your victory is found. It is in him. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? The person who is abiding in Christ is the one whose life is intentionally placed in the presence of God. That's worth the admission for tonight right there. It's one whose life is intentionally placed in the presence of God. They are doing what Brother Lawrence, the 17th century monk, referred to as practicing the presence of God. They live in a state of God awareness that prompts every interaction that they have throughout the day. Nothing comes into that person's life that, listen, does not become a part of the relational dialogue. Are, are you hearing what I just said there? Nothing comes into that person's life that does not become a part of the relational dialogue with God. What I mean by that is when an issue comes up in your home, here it is, the abiding believer takes it to God in prayer. Whenever a potential marriage partner comes into your life, the abiding believer takes it to God in prayer. When an addiction surfaces with your life or a family member or a loved one, what do you, what do, you do? The abiding believer takes it to God in prayer. When a job offer in Seattle pops up unexpectedly in your life, what do you do? The abiding believer takes it to God in prayer. They take the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, the joyous and the sorrowful, the past and the present and the future. They take all of that to God in relational dialogue. They say, God, this is, this is what I'm seeing. This is what just came. Here's where my heart's at. This is my concern at this point. Those who abide in Christ, they live in a state of God awareness that prompts regular interaction with God throughout the day. The more we practice the presence of God by abiding in him, the more the definition of abiding begins to make sense. Abiding means we remain in, we stay in, we are at home in, we dwell in him it's him. We don't go out and try to do it ourselves. He is our dwelling place. We stay in him. What happens if, if you get discouraged? Stay in him. What, what happens along the way if you're saying, but I don't know how to transfer my faith to my children? Abide in him and let him lead you as to what that looks like. It, it all flows out of this abiding life in Christ. So how does a Christian access his spiritual or her spiritual account in Christ? Abide in him. Abide in him. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. As we abide in Christ, he lives his life, his blessings through us 
in our lives. Listen, it's not about you and I trying harder. It's about us trusting more. It's about us trusting that his way's better than ours. Now, as a guy who loves to check things off of a list and to have a plan well in advance of whenever something is going on, this is like learning to breathe underwater for me. It does not come naturally. Everything in my, my flesh says plan it and ask God to bless it on the other side. And everything in his words saying abide in me and I'll live my blessing through you. One is an approach that when it's done, I can say I did a great job. The other is an approach when God does it, I can just say it's him. It's him. Okay, so let me give you all my my quick story on this. I, I might have shared part of this with you before, but one of the first people who ever taught me about the abiding life of Christ was a worship leader at another church. And whenever he was telling me, Paul, it's not about you doing something for God. It's about you being with God and him doing something through you. Every time he kept saying that, it just got me more mad. I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's where I was at. Like, in my mind, I'm like, well, somebody's got to do something. And, and here's, I'm going to show you how fleshly in that moment I was. I was like, everybody can't play the guitar and sing pretty music. That's, that's what I was thinking in my mind. I'm sorry, Seth, but, man, you are awesome at what you're doing, my friend. But listen, in my mind, that's where I was at. I was like, somebody has to train leaders. Somebody has to share their faith. Somebody has to disciple somebody. Somebody has to prepare a message. You've got to do something. And I wanted so bad for somebody to help me understand what does it look like to abide and still to do from the overflow of that abiding. And then one day, somebody sat down with me and said, Paul, there's not a problem with you doing something. The issue is whether or not you are acting and asking God to bless it or if you are starting and abiding and allowing him to do something through your life. And whenever somebody made that connection for me, I was like, ah, that makes more sense. The reason I bring that up is because if what you're hearing me say tonight is you don't have to do anything in the Christian life other than just sit around and enjoy your blessed assurance. You did not hear this message correctly tonight. Or maybe I did not preach this message correctly tonight. What I will tell you is, as you abide in him, God will give you plenty to do. The issue will be whether or not you are doing it in his strength and under his direction and by his guidance and through his power or whether or not you're trying to figure it out along the way and do the best you can. So I want you all to listen as we close out tonight. I want you to listen to this statement from C.S. Lewis. It's found in the book, The Weight of Glory. I want you to listen to how he describes this. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. End of quote. Here's the reason I bring that up. If you look at what is being offered in your spiritual bank account in Christ, and you say, sounds great, but I've got other stuff I'm dealing with. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums. He's saying if we just got a glimpse of what God wants to do, you would find that our desires are not too much, they're too little. He has far more that he desires to do in and through us than we even desire to see happen ourselves. God has an unbelievable plan that flows out of in Christ living. Don't settle for less. In the exact same way, if you knew a relative left you a massive sum of money, you would not rest until what was offered was accessible in your life. In the same way, your heavenly Father has offered every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are loaded spiritually before God. Don't rest until you're accessing what is yours in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy that we have of walking with you. God, we could never be able to thank you enough for what you've done for us at salvation. But God, when we look at the things that you're offering us in Christ, our blessings and our praise and our worship should be fresh moment by moment. We should be overwhelmed with all that is ours because of our union with Christ. So Lord, help us to live as those who understand that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. See you this next Sunday.